As you turn your attention now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want you to be very, very, very solid Bereans as you study the Word. One of the things that we often forget is that these letters were authored without all the chapters and verses designated in them. They were letters that were written to the early church, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to man so that we might understand God's plan for us, Uh, read the 119th Psalm, and you'll see the power of God's Word uh, in our lives. And so these verses were not originally separated into chapter 4 and chapter 5, and so the words that we read in them, translated into English from the original language, the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic, would have formed a unified letter. And so it's very important because we find transitionally in chapter 5, in verse 1, The word but, that always looks back, just like therefore. So there's something that has been said to which this next thought is now going to be added. And so as we now begin in verse 1, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, But concerning the times and seasons, now there's going to be a shift in thought. And if you're one who marks your Bible, start marking. And here's what I want you to mark. Because again, you always want to look at who is being spoken to. The who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the how. Learning to look at your Bible through the lens which God intended. He was writing a very specific thing to very specific people. He's talking about a specific event. And he does so in a very specific way. And so that you don't misunderstand it, as we read these 11 verses, notice he mentions you, he mentions they, he mentions them, he mentions us, he mentions we. So he shifts back and forth between two groups of people that we've already seen regarding the rapture of the church. There are people who are going to be raptured and people who will not. There are people who are saved and people who are not There are people who will be here and people who won't. And now he shifts his attention to the second event that transpires seven years after the rapture of the church, and that's the second coming of the Lord. And so he now moves, but concerning the times and the seasons, remember Jesus used that exact phrase in the Olivet Discourse. Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Do you see them? For you yourselves. Now again, notice how these are linked together. You'll see four. This is a legal argument. When you write a resolution from a corporate board, it it transitions from thing to thing, and each one is marked, and therefore. Here's what's happened, and therefore, here's our response. That is exactly how the Apostle Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, now writes these things. You're linking each thought one to another, transitioning with the word for. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord. Here it comes. A time that the Old Testament spoke of thoroughly. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, transitions from you to they, for when they say peace and safety, then, 
sudden destruction comes upon, circle it, them. You have the yous, you have the we's, you have the us, you have the they, and you have the them. You must keep them separated because they're in two different places. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You've been saved by grace through faith. You're good to go. Amen? Praise the Lord for that truth. Praise the Lord for that truth. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. For we, going back to including himself in this group, are not of the light or of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, again, he goes back to the almost legal case that's being made. Look, you're either here or you're there. You're in this group or that group. You're part of this or you're part of that. And therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But... Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as the helmet of salvation. And here it is. Circle it, underline it, highlight it. For God did not appoint us to wrath. He's linking all these things together. The they, the them, the us, the we, the you. He's saying God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Because that's one of the greatest truths found in your Bible. Because if you've been saved from God's wrath, for God to put you through that wrath makes Him absolutely unfair and unjust. And so if you're one of those people that believes that we should go through the tribulation that we need to be punished. God already punished sin on Calvary's cross on the back of His Son, Jesus. He need not do it for those who have received the grace gift. For God did not appoint us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, whether you have already gone home to be with Jesus or whether you're one of those that would have alived and been alive and remained and caught up, snatched away, whichever group, we should live together with him and therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of this passage Lord, many of us are concerned about what would happen uh, should you come today. The good news is your grace is sufficient for all of our sin. And we thank you for that truth. And we pray that as we study your word now in these remaining minutes, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would instruct us from heaven uh, of how we ought to be wide awake, sober, ready, vigilant. Help us to not fall asleep metaphorically. Lord, we shouldn't be dozing in these last days. Lord, help us to be wide awake as we study your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so he has in view here, the rapture of the church has happened. 
there's another event that's going to occur. That event actually is portrayed in Revelation chapter 19 in finality. And you see the Lord Jesus then coming from heaven on a white horse, returning to earth, a garment with his name on his leg, on his thigh, singing King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he comes back for the express purpose of finishing up what we call the tribulation with its final battle, the battle of Armageddon. And so what is now in view is the second coming of the Lord. The church is gone. That's why he said he's not appointed us under wrath, because the whole purpose of those seven years is primarily for God to deal with sin and very specifically to bring salvation to national Israel. We'll see that when we get into our study of Romans chapter 11. God being very specific there about those last day's events that will occur when the times of the Gentiles are actually done. When the age of grace is over, when we have run our course, when the church has served its purpose, we will be taken home. And then what's going to happen is God's going to say, okay, now for the rest of you, let me make this perfectly clear, God will say. You need to choose this day whom you will serve, and you've got seven years to do it. And it's going to start out with the rise of the Antichrist, a political figure initially, who will come upon this earth with all kinds of political solutions. There will be a one-world government. There will be a one-world monetary system. There will be a one-world religion. And for three and a half years, that's all going to seem like the best thing that's ever happened to the world. And during that time, he'll be setting up his kingdom. And then in the middle that temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem, which today, when we travel there, will be uh, in the general vicinity on Wednesday. If you travel to the Temple Mount today, there is no temple on the Temple Mount. There are three mosques, but there's no temple. Scripture says in the last days there will be a temple on the Temple Mount. That temple will have been rebuilt. That temple will then be desecrated by the very one who allowed it to be built. And then all hell literally will break loose on this earth. And then Jesus will come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. That time is described in your Bible as the day of the Lord. It's also called the time of Jacob's trouble. It is also at the end of, Paul would write, the times of the Gentiles. The same picture that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, we now get here in Revelation 5. And so let's look at it together as we view the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, that future time. It's still future, folks. Here's the good news. You can receive Christ today, and the next thing that you're going to see on the prophetic calendar is the Lord Jesus in the clouds either through your own death, and you'll meet him there in the air forever to be with him, or when the church is raptured home. But in any case, receive, believe today, and you are golden for all eternity. But there is a time coming that your Bible describes very thoroughly in the Old Testament and the New. Isaiah 13, there Joel chapter 2, Amos 5, Zephaniah chapter 1, that we know as the day of the Lord. It is the day of his wrath. You see, God has been holding back his anger with mankind. 
But that anger still resides and hangs over the heads of those who do not know the Lord. And so God is simply waiting. He's being patient. And he has been patient for 2,000 years. And he's allowed man to kind of work it out, figure it out. And one by one, person by person, man, woman, child, receiving Christ, the church has grown up to this point. Amen? But there's going to be a time when God's going to say, man is no longer heading towards me at all. Jesus actually equated it to the time of Noah. And what happened in Noah's day was this. Man was continually evil. He stopped thinking of God, no longer considered him in his thoughts. And I might say to you today that I cannot remember a time in the course of human history that I have studied where man is more quickly getting to the place where there is a division between sheep and goats, between people who know the Lord and people who don't. I think one of the reasons we have such a schism in our country today is you have people who actually believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you have people who do not believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are on opposite sides of the fence. And that's not saying anything political. That's saying it's getting to that time when if you hold a biblical worldview, it stands out against someone who does not hold a biblical worldview. And so here's what God's going to do eventually. The Apostle Paul, the first one to associate this day of the Lord that we see here in verses 1 and 2 with the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he would repeat these things and basically give us a picture of what's going to happen uh, in, as he would write to the church at Corinth, both in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. And so he pictures these things for us so that we won't fall asleep in the world that we live in today. This is an urgent matter. And here's why it's urgent. If you're here today and you've received Christ, it's urgent because one of these days you're going to go home to be with Jesus. You're not going to be here to any longer minister to your family, be a witness in this world. God's going to take us home. But it's urgent also for those who are left behind. For those who will be here for the rise of the Antichrist. For those who will be here ultimately when the Lord says, Enough! I'm not going to let sin reign any longer. What Adam began in the garden, I am going to end today, right now. You don't want anybody that you know here for that event. And so we are to be busy about our Father's business, fulfilling the gospel and fulfilling the Great Commission. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Amen? That's busy about the gospel. But we're also to be busy about discipleship. Go ye therefore into all the world. That's why we send out missionaries, by the way. And preach the gospel. And make disciples of all nations. That's why we're still here. Because one day, it's going to get nearly impossible to do that very thing. And that time is upon us, I believe. I think time is short. But Jesus discussed his second coming. He did so in Matthew 24. And whether you turn to it or mark it, he says this in verse 36 
and verses 43 and 44. And I'm going to read to you from the NIV just for emphasis. For no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So all the prognostication about when this is going to happen, Jesus himself said, is fruitless. Because nobody knows the day or the hour, the exact timing of it. And I believe God does that very purposefully. Because the moment that someone knew the date or the time, for whatever reason, then the first thing they do is start altering their behavior to meet that supposed end. And God says, oh no, it's going to be as a thief in the night. You're not going to know the day or the hour. You'll you'll know the basic times or seasons, Jesus would say. But understand this, which we see in our passage. If the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. You see, people are like that. And you've probably met them. People in your life who have said to you, well, you know, I'm too busy for the whole Jesus thing right now. You know, I got a business, and I'm doing this, and I'm going to be married, and we're thinking about this next vacation, and there's all kinds of stuff, reasonings for which they will give you, and well, I'm just not into church right now. Can I say something to you? I hope there's no one in this room who's into church. I hope you're into Jesus Christ. I hope you're into God's Word. Amen? Church is us. It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not tradition. Church is people. So if your definition of church is some building that you go to so you can get holy, probably ain't going to happen. You see, we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm anxiously thinking, you know what, you might want to reconsider whether you want to receive Christ today. Because there's, there's a nut job on the north end of the Korean Peninsula. It's a 12-year-old with nuclear weapons. And people are sitting there and thinking, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. Really? The end of the Second World War came from the dropping of two atomic bombs, the likes of which we no longer possess because they're too small. You, you see, things could change in a moment in our world. And I don't say that to scare anyone. That's the reality of the world that we live in. So what did Jesus say? And so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. The day of the Lord's going to happen. And you don't want to be here for it. And so in this passage, the Apostle Paul uses three very profound phases. They're found, they're very unique, they're only found here. And, and God is not done with Israel. So these phrases are setting something up. He says times and seasons. It's only found three times in the entire Bible. Daniel uses it. The Lord Jesus himself uses it. Paul uses it. But the, the times and the seasons are an indicator of a general period of time. We use phrases like summer and winter and spring. Amen? Amen? So we know generally when summer is here because it's H-O-T hot. Amen? 
We know winter is here because we have drizzle on our windshields. Amen? We, not like some places where there's snow, but we know when winter's coming. We know when spring is here because like we have right now, we've got tomatoes busting out and strawberries in our little garden we have in our backyard. We know it's spring because life has sprung from our plants. You see, we know the times and the seasons, but the times and the seasons are not specific days. There are periods of time that are very clear. And so it says you're going to know the times and the seasons. There will be things happening in the world will let you know that the Lord is near. First phrase. The second phrase, the day of the Lord. It's describing a time when God is finally going to judge this world. He's not judged this world. I want you to turn for a moment to the book of Joel, and you can mark it. Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 3. And the reason I'm drawing your attention is because the day of the Lord is mentioned in the prophecy of Joel. Chapter 2 and verse 1, and it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Where is Zion? It's not in Utah, okay? Zion is the holy hill of God. It exists in one place. It's in Jerusalem, the city of peace. But the city of peace today is not a city of peace. It is a fractured city. It is a city that is politically as unstable as you can get. And it's kind of crazy we're going there next week because it looks like our president, uh, who's going there at the end of the month, is about to announce with his own lips, that we are going to move our embassy to the eternal capital of Israel, to Jerusalem. Amen? That's a big deal, folks. Because that's not going to be met with anything other than some very, very strong resistance from the PLO. Could well actually bring war. So the city of peace, sound an alarm, in my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. So where is this? This is Israel. This is not Southern California. This is not the world in general. It's very specific about what the tribulation is really about. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is at hand. Now, remind yourself that Joel is writing about 540 years before the Lord Jesus was born into this world. For the day of the Lord is coming. It's at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess. That's not a good day, amen? A day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people will come, great and strong, the likes of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even in many successive generations." You see, the Lord is saying that one day he's going to square away this world. He'll go on in chapter 3 to tell us exactly why. Because of what the nations of the earth have done in scattering the Jewish people, how the Jewish people have been treated in general, and what the nations of the world have done with God's land. The land that is occupied by the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob belongs to God. And he gave it to them as an eternal inheritance. It is their land because it's God's land. 
And when the nations of the world continue to mess with the nation Israel, they are messing with God, whom God said, these people are the apple of my eye. The church has not replaced national Israel. National Israel, God still has as the apple of his eye. And he has a plan for his people. Romans chapter 11 tells us what that plan is. He's going to bring calamity on the entire world for the express purpose of bringing national Israel to its knees so that they might see Messiah. And ultimately, it says, and all Israel will be saved. So the day of the Lord is not for the church. It's for unbelievers, and it's very specifically for national Israel. The third phrase, a thief in the night. Jesus uses the same thing in the Olivet Discourse there in Matthew 24. And he's talking about the swiftness with which a thief works. You see, thieves, if you haven't noticed this, they don't call you up and tell you they're coming. So, hey, I'm going to rob your house this afternoon. Hope you're not there. No, they, they work by stealth. Why? Because they want to take an opportunity in the moment. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Nobody is going to know when it's going to happen. It will be at God's opportune moment that he will step into time once again. He'll first snatch the church away. That will come as a thief in the night. And then seven years later, he's going to come himself again back to this earth as a thief in the night. Nobody's going to know. They're not going to know the day or the hour. They're going to be doing all manner of things here on this earth. We're not going to be here any longer. The Lord will take care of what he said he would take care of. You see, we need to be expecting that immediately. God warned after the flood, before the flood, that it was coming. God warned Lot that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus warned the generation in Jerusalem that Jerusalem would be destroyed. And what were they doing? Ah, that's not going to happen. Look at Herod's temple. And what happened? The words of Jesus came true. In A.D. 70, Titus and the Roman army came into Jerusalem, completely destroyed the temple, burned it so much so that they pushed the rubble off, which remains to this day at the base of the Herodian walls. God works on his time frame, folks. He doesn't work on our time frame. And he knows the day and the hour, but he's chosen to reveal it to no one. So when the Seventh-day Adventists say that they know, they're wrong. The moment someone says they know the day or the hour, you can automatically call them a heretic. Because they don't know the day or the hour. How do I know that? Jesus said so. I'll take his word. Amen? That's why the Jehovah's Witnesses have looked like fools over and over and over and over again. Because in 1848, 1856, 1919, they keep predicting the return of the Lord. And guess what? Didn't happen. Because no one knows the day or the hour. He's going to come as a thief in the night, and no one knows when that is. Only Father God. Notice, not even the Son knows. Now, Jesus being God, eternal, 
Somehow, whether that knowledge is blocked, I don't know. But I know what's going to happen. They're going to unroll that scroll in heaven. Who is worthy to unroll the scroll? And they're going to hand it to Jesus. It's time to go. Profound. We sometimes get to the place where it's like, man, did God forget his promise? Is he coming back? Because it's been 2,000 years, right? Paul writes these things in about AD 60. We sit here in 2017 and we're going, where's Jesus? We get mocked every single time somebody mentions that, right? Oh, you guys have been saying Jesus is coming for 2,000 years. Yep. Because my Bible says Jesus is coming and I still believe what it says. Jesus is coming soon. I can say that. And soon is a relative term to his plan. And here's why I say that. Once he raptures the church out, everything that's going to happen after that, we have a very clear picture of in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. God's going to pour out his wrath on this earth like we have never seen. The sum and total of the death toll that's going to take place during the tribulation will eventually approach three-quarters of the world's population will die during the tribulation. Billions will be saved. But the Lord's not going to be playing when he does that. So the reason it hasn't happened, it's a massively serious thing that's going to occur. And God is massively gracious, amen? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, Jeff, and you. And that grace is still available to us today. As Peter would say there in 2 Peter 3, with the Lord, uh, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. God looks at things from an eternal perspective, is all that's being said there. He's not going to be boxed in by our thinking. He's not going to be boxed in by the Hebrew calendar. He's not going to be boxed in by the feast days. He's not going to be boxed in by the Jewish holidays. He's not going to be boxed in by blood moons. He is going to come when he is good and ready. That's when he's coming. So if you claim to know that he's coming on a specific date, the 14th of Nisan, the 12th of Adir, I can tell you right now you don't know. Because Jesus said so. He makes these contrasts for us so that we will make no mistake about what he's saying. Contrasts of soberness and drunkenness. How are you doing with that? Are you sober or are you drunk? He's not just talking about alcoholism. He's talking about are you overcome by the things of the world? Are you sitting around in some kind of stupor going, well, you know, this is pretty good. I love life. I had a chance. I was with the men yesterday at the men's conference. It was awesome. God was working. But you know what? I'd rather have spent the weekend with Jesus. You see how that gives you an expectancy about everything? You can be having a great day today and know that there's a greater day coming. That's living expectantly. It's like, this is awesome. This is awesomer. It's another one of my own words. I just make them up. It just came to me in a vision. Now, I'm trying to make a point to you. It's like life can be good and it can be infinitely better. And if you're a believer, that's likely the case. 
But it will always be the case that it'll be infinitely better. Maybe it's bad today. It's going to get infinitely better. Maybe it's mediocre today. It's going to get infinitely better. Maybe you're half asleep. You're going to be wide awake when Jesus comes. So be wide awake now. Get ready for the return of the Lord. You walk around, you're like, man, Jesus is coming. I remember when I first got saved. We turned the corner of the 60s and into the 70s. Everybody had the bumper sticker on the back of their car that knew the Lord. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. I love that bumper sticker because it's a basic truth. I'm driving around, I'm going someplace. David and I were talking about fishing yesterday. I was messing with the guys a little bit. We're talking about the glories of trout fishing. Man, I don't know what the fishing's like in heaven, but I'm willing to go give it a try. We have to think heavenly, folks. How are you doing? It's not the sleep of death. It's the spiritual sleep of saying, well, you know, oh well. Look, we're not going through the tribulation. We're not. We've been saved from it. Amen? We've all gone through trials. You may be going through some of them today. God's bigger than your trials. And even if your trials loom huge today, one day heaven. That's our answer. One day heaven. No matter what your trial is today, heaven fixes it. Amen? That's an eternal perspective. That doesn't minimize your trial today. doesn't even make it go away. might not even make it better today. But what does happen is in your heart and in your mind, you're saying, you know what? This has got an end because my life is a vapor and one day Jesus. God would not put us through. And he says plainly and clearly here, God has not appointed us. Who? The church. His people. His bride. Can you imagine... The bride of Christ. The bridegroom comes, and what's the bride of Christ doing? The bride of Christ is beat to death on the earth. That doesn't even make any sense. We're supposed to be getting dressed up and ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb, not down here anticipating us being almost dead before our Savior gets here to take us home. I want to give you a handful of things as we close, and I realize I'm a little long, but I I want to get this home to you. There are reasons why I believe we are not going to go through the tribulation. Number one is the nature of the church. Because we are the body of Christ and he is the head, it makes no sense for him to beat his own self. Amen? Amen. Destroy his own physical offspring and lineage. We are the joint heirs of salvation with Christ. Amen? The book of Romans declares that very clearly. So why would God punish that for which he has died? He wouldn't. He's not like that. The nature of the church makes it very clear that we're not going to taste God's wrath. First John chapter 5 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him, whom has sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. Those are the words of Jesus to you. The nature of the church says he's not going to judge us in that way. He'll judge your fruit, your works, for reward. You'll sit at the Bema seat, and God will say, well done, but not to determine whether you're going to be punished or not, but rewarded. 
The nature of the tribulations, I already shared. Joel 3 says this, For behold, in verse 1, In those days, at that time, speaking of the day of the Lord, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, and I will gather all the nations and bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat. That is the confluence of the Kidron and the Hinnom Valley. Many people often mistake that the entire battle of Armageddon is going to take place in the valley of Megiddo. That is where they will gather. The battle itself will take place in that entire valley and wrap all the way around to Jerusalem and the final stages of it will take place for the holy city. That's where Jehoshaphat is. And I will enter into judgment with them there. Why? Here it is. Here's the reason for the tribulation. My people, on the account of them, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have also divided up my land. So it is a really bad thing to be on the side of people who mistreat the nation Israel, harm God's people, and divide up God's land. You do not want to be on that side. Let me be clear. A third thing, the promise of of the imminent return of the Lord. You see, if the Lord wasn't coming immediately, then we could just forget all this stuff. But he's coming immediately, and it might be today. It might be today. And the last thing which we'll get to when we get to 2 Thessalonians is the order of these events. Why would we go through the tribulation? Why would you go through the tribulation? Why would God put us through the tribulation when he's designed us to be his bride to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? doesn't even make any theologic sense. It doesn't make any rational sense. And so family, Jesus is coming soon. And if you know him, you can rejoice. And you shouldn't be asleep, amen? <laughs> Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Appreciate your patience. Took a few extra minutes to try and finish these powerful 11 verses. We're going to close in worship. But I want to pray with you right now. If you're here and maybe you're uncertain if the rapture were to happen, whether you would go in that rapture, maybe you're one of those people who say, well, I'll take my chances with the tribulation. And you want to end that thought process today and know that to be absent from this world, to be absent from this body, is to be present with the Lord. If that's you today, would you please bow your heads with me? Church, please be praying. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you're willing to say right now by raising your hand, I want to know Jesus because I don't want to be here when this happens. If you just simply slip your hand up, I want to pray with you and for you right where you're at. Anyone at all. If you're here today, you're uncertain of your eternal future, your security. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? I see that hand as well. Anyone else? I see that hand. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. You're going to follow me in prayer. You're going to invite Christ into your life. He loves you. He came to this world so you would never taste that sting. I see that hand as well. Keep your hands up so I can see them, please. The rest of you, I see that hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Anyone at all? Just slip your hand up. Those that have raised your hands, would you just simply pray this prayer with me and mean it from your heart? Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. 
and I'm asking you to be my Savior. I know that I can't save myself, and I'm asking you to save me. And so, Lord, would you place my name in your book of life in heaven, inscribe it there for eternity. Thank you for the mansion that you're building for me now. I pray that you would help me to walk with you all of my days. Lord, implant the Holy Spirit within me to guide me and direct me. I'm asking you to be my Lord, not just my Savior. I thank you for the grace that you're right now saving me with and the faith to believe. I promise to walk with you forever. Thank you for taking me home to heaven when that moment comes. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.